Mr. Mark with Mikey and Ray, the, the alternative voice of the ethnic millennial. Welcome back to Bottom Up with Mikey and Ray. It's your boy Mikey. And it's your girl Ray. And we are the alternative voice of the ethnic millennial. This is the Diversity in Industry series. And in each episode, we host a different guest and we talk about their experience and journey as an ethnic minority within their industry. Today, we're going to be looking at medicine and especially medical school. We are joined by one of my oldest friends. She's an activist, a spoken word artist a YouTuber, a painter, and most importantly, a fourth-year medical student. Ila Fuslawi! Yay! Thank you for having me. <laughs> Just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what you do. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, you kind of said some stuff already. But yeah, main thing, I guess, is currently I'm a medical student and I'm a YouTuber, so I make videos on self-care, medical school, and lifestyle. And I'm very new at it, so support me if you can. Shout out your handle. Let them know where they can find you. Yeah, what's your handle? You can find me on Dear Elaf. So that's both for Instagram and YouTube. Okay, so as you know, this is our diversity in industry series. So we got you on today because you are a fourth year medical student. And I personally know your story quite well. because We were like, you know, school kids. (laughs) Um, But let's talk a little bit about yourself in the terms of like, what's your ethnic background and what would you say your social class was growing up and things like that so our, our listeners can know? Yeah, so in terms of my like ethnicity, I'm Kurdish, but mostly known as Iraqi slash Iraqi Kurdish. And growing up, well, I'd say working class, but we worked up to that because we came to Europe as political refugees uh, in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And so my parents managed to become working class, I'd say. And yeah, I guess that's kind of from my childhood. And I'm now I'm slowly becoming middle slash upper class I guess and like why did you want to become a doctor well it's it's a bit of a weird one because I've wanted to be a doctor since I was four five years old like very young what, Sorry. who inspired you well that's the thing I I had this concept of like just helping people and being all over the world kind of seeing the world but also helping people all over the world and when I was really young I was exposed to Doctors Without Borders the charity and what they do is they provide medical relief and aid in humanitarian disaster zones and like conflict zones etc so that was like oh wait I get to be helping people and it's all over the world so I was like yeah that makes sense so I kind of clung on to that and that's kind of been my inspiration ever since like I didn't have a doctor in the family the closest thing I had was my aunt who was a nurse but she's in Iraq so it's not like I saw her or heard her stories or anything but yeah I'm the first one in my family to go to university I'm the first one to go into the medical field as a doctor and yeah I think my main inspiration was this image I built of myself for the future yeah and kind of just working towards that so it's like my future self was my inspiration and like working towards achieving and becoming that dang god that's like that's almost like (laughs) yeah that's inspirational (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna put that on tumblr (laughs) (laughs) well here's the thing right in my family and the whole thing about like expectations or aspirations as my parents were refugees first generation migrants as am I like we we traveled as a family to Europe their expectation of us was really just to be happy and have a fulfilled life so they didn't put any pressures on us necessarily like academically to like excel and achieve you know they just wanted us to do well and be happy so, Do you think that would have been different if there wasn't like a political crisis at all? In what sense? Yeah. Like, do you think you would have been a doctor in Iraq? I'd like to think so, because I think I'd still have the same kind of underlying values of like wanting to help people. And I have a love for science that I discovered as I went along in terms of secondary school and sixth form. So I think if not doctor, something sciencey. I think it would have been doctor because that's the most kind of like the balance between like science, art and humanities, you know, really connecting with people on such an intimate level. So I think I would still become a doctor, but the path would have been a bit different, I guess. But in my childhood, in terms of like growing up with the expectations that my parents had, it's different to other minority ethnics who, you know, the the common stereotype of like Asian parents, African parents you have to achieve, you have to get A+, plus. you have to become a doctor or engineer. You know, my parents, they didn't put that kind of pressure on us. Would, did, did they, they help? help? Well. They, 
They didn't, no, because the, the thing is, they thought becoming a doctor might have not been the best thing for me, you know, at that time, like Why? around sixth form, maybe, because I really struggled at sixth form in sciences, because I, I transferred, like me and Rachel were in a comprehensive school, and then I yeah. went to a boys' grammar school, which had a mixed sixth form, and the thing is with that is that they all kind of, before they split off for the summer, like after GCSEs, they got prepped for A-levels, right? At my comprehensive, yeah. comprehensive school, we didn't. We finished GCSEs and that was it, you know? Long um, summer. Yeah. <laughs> Long summer. <laughs> and then we, I get into A-levels and it's like, yeah, it's a big jump. And then I'm like struggling with the homework and I didn't finish things on time. I really struggled with understanding the concepts and I just wasn't going about things the right way. For example, like I quit my job I had a job at Domino's, which was my first job ever. I quit it because I was like, no, I need to dedicate more time to my studies. But then yeah. I kind of, all I did was like focus on my studies and I kind of didn't have other outlets. I didn't kind of do anything else because I was like, no, this is so important. All I have to do is just do it all the time. And it just wasn't working because I wasn't doing well. And the school was getting concerned because I wasn't handing things in on time, homework and stuff. And they knew that I wanted to apply for medicine. And they were like, we just don't think that's the right path for you. You're struggling right now. You're not going to be able to handle medicine. And that was like two months in to sixth form. Do you ever figure out why from that period, why you were struggling so much? For me, it wasn't that I wasn't smart enough or that I wasn't good enough. I just mm -hmm. wasn't prepared. Yeah, I feel like you were already disadvantaged because we went to a comprehensive where these kind of things weren't pushed. As much as we did have teachers that pushed us, I feel like as long as we got into university and did something, it was fine. There wasn't that many teachers that pushed you towards a specific vocation or like gave you extra help or really prepared you, I guess. Yeah. And like our careers advisor, we had, I had like one meeting with her and I can't even remember what we did in that, but it wasn't, there wasn't <laughs> much career advice and no prep for A-levels either. So I come into a grammar school, everyone's ultra prepared. Everyone's got private tutors. Everyone, you know, everyone's got yeah, all the yeah. support they want, need, etc. And I'm like, huh, what? I'm on my own. What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Everything's new. People seem to be rushing and everyone's getting things done. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I, I just don't know. Mm. Even seeing the difference between a comprehensive state school and like a grammar state school, it's there's still a difference in the quality of education you're receiving. Do you feel like yeah. it was harder for you to get into medicine than children like that get private school education or did have private tutors that had like a middle class upbringing where they had the money to be able to have all these other resources? Yeah, I mean, for me, for example, I did get a private tutor. I didn't pay for the private tutor because the private tutor was kind enough to set an agreement with me that once I have money, that I will pay him back. So he was like six, seven years, whatever. When you have the money, you can pay me. So I was privileged enough to have that kind of access to the private tutor that some of the people at my school were accessing that same tutor. But I didn't always paying at the time. Yeah, because I didn't have the money. My parents didn't have the money. But he was kind enough to offer offer that agreement with me so I I was more privileged in that sense but I still I had to pay for it myself you know it wasn't my parents money I have eventually yeah, like yeah. last year I paid it off because I was working um during my gap year and I managed to pay off that debt and it felt pretty good kind of having paid for it myself because it did help me a lot having someone that knew the system because he went to Cambridge and Oxford he knows how like the elite work he, he's been there you know he's he's from a working class family himself so he knows the struggle so it was yeah. nice to have someone like that in my life definitely the fact that you had a private tutor that did that for you I feel like that's the kind of opportunity that happens once in a blue moon do you get what I mean like yeah. this is a story you're going to tell your kids and your grandkids not mm -hmm. many people would do that I think because he was from sure. the same background as you in the sense of working class I feel like he instilled that in himself to help others the same way I feel you would do you get what mm -hmm. I mean yeah and he would even sometimes help me out with like dropping me off home after tutoring rather than me having to get the bus it's little things like that that do have a big impact on someone who just doesn't have the kind of money to just be you know even taking the bus it was expensive in our town Rachel yeah it, it was it's a town it's not London it's not £1.50 mate like, <laughs> it's... Four quid for a return to town or something yeah it's mad oh. so little things like that do make a big difference let's take it back so I did some research on this area and it 
it mm. kind of said because you said obviously going to a grammar school kind of prepared you a little bit more than you would say if you carried on at a comprehensive I guess for six yeah months. but obviously there's still a difference between state schools and private schools in fact there was a, a survey done in 2016 it was the social mobility commission survey and they found that 61 percent of med students were actually from private schools that's like more than half of med students within the uk were coming from private schools that's a that's a big chunk and that's a lot yeah. if you think about the class system the majority of private school kids are from the middle to upper class kind of bracket unless you've got like a scholarship to go to a private school very mm-hmm. few working class kids are going there but I was thinking about this and I was thinking in terms of sixth form because even you right even though you had like the private tuition and stuff there was other things like money was a big problem um mm-hmm. and by that point EMA had stopped as well right oh yeah I remember you like I remember you working other kids don't have to work during sixth form do you get what I mean? That's a point of time where you are focused on your education. Or if yeah. you are working, it would be like work experience to help with your application, right? But I remember yeah. you were working at, was it the fish and chip shop? Yeah, like that was in year 13. Yeah. That was when I kind of changed my mindset and also like I needed the money. I didn't fail any of my exams, but I just didn't do good enough to get into traditional medicine. I got B's and C's for my AS levels. And so when I went into year 13, I made a lot of changes and it was all mainly kind of mentally. And I started just playing the system itself. And I was working part time at the fish and chip shop, as you said. And I was also tutoring a year 12 student in like bio and chem. I was working like three kind of part time jobs, making money to save up. Did you think it impacted in a positive way or in a negative way? way in terms of your studies and like your aspirations yeah well to be honest I feel like I probably wouldn't have done it if my family had money you know mm-hmm. what I would have done is probably spend my parents money you know what I mean like do stuff for fun or go out with friends etc not worrying about how much of my own money am I spending you know yeah. so it was more of an opportunity cost of your free time and money than yeah than affecting your studies that's so. definitely but at, in the end I still managed to do well and I still managed to get into medicine and I think that year taught me a lot and I became quite disciplined and I gained a lot from that and being able to juggle all of these things at the same time and still being able to enjoy myself and enjoy my life you know it's not the greatest like it for my kid I would like them to have like a part-time job but not because they would need the money you know it was more so to get some experience yeah get some skills It's a good thing to do if you can do it, if it won't impact the, yeah. the more important things in your life. But How did you prove mm. the haters wrong? You, you made <laughs> it to medical, wrong, okay. medical school when wrong. You literally the first two months you were saying you were struggling and the grades didn't transpire in that AS level, yet you proved all your haters wrong. Honestly, most of my haters were my teachers and right. like the, the sixth form head and all of them lot. Um, I remember them sometimes it's... so well. I remember you no, getting vexed. Is, I remember resolving and going, you should just throw it in their faces. Like, oh, they came to me. They came to me about how proud they are. Wow, well done. I'm like, leave me alone. Like, go away. I know, I know what you, you said. I know what you believed. You didn't believe in me, so thank you. I don't need your pride or whatever. Thank you. Next. Yes. <laughs> how how did you do it though? Part part of what I said in terms of like just knowing the system and playing it, like playing the game that they basically want you to play in terms of the structure of A levels and figuring out what they want, analyzing exam papers, and yeah. basically getting the study part done in that sense. Like I'm comfortable with the exams because I know how they ask questions I've looked at the syllabus I know what they want me to know I'm working on knowing these things and I'm also managing to kind of split up my time so that I don't get overloaded because I remember in year 12 oh my god like Rachel you know this Mm -hmm. I got not only did I like quit my job and spend all my time on like trying to study and failing I was also hooked on energy drink oh my god Oh, girl, it was so bad. Like, when I say hooked, I'm talking like a liter or more a day. Mike, do you remember those? You know, in the corner shops, yeah, there was those cheap 35p, yeah, yeah, boost, but they also did like the bottle version, like it came in the big ones. Rough, she would have like two of those a day, yeah, (laughs) it was so bad. And it was like, oh my god, I remember this so clearly. I remember going to your house for like dinner or something, going into her room. It was like going into the serial killer's room. There was no. no She's just shaking, just shaking on the desk, like her eyes, like bloodshot and everything. 
Oh you yeah. The walls were covered in notes. Like Mike, I could not see paint on that wall. <laughs> it was just her in her dressing gown. That rock. That dressing gown I can never forget. <laughs> oh, Elaf man. You you were I'm not gonna lie, you should be so proud of yourself because those two years were horrific. I felt like yeah. I just remember you being so drained all the time. And I think it wasn't even that, it was just the negative energy that everyone was giving you. Like I don't think mm. it was, there were positives like your tutor and things like that, but I feel at the school itself let you down like a lot yeah it didn't your potential sad to hear that i don't want to gas her up too much but i will gas her up what were your results at the end of the day come on tell the people them and tell them the subjects as well because that is a big defeat so i did um what did i do man uh (laughs) biology bro (laughs) i I did the drum rolls and everything (laughs) um no uh biology chemistry and physics I got all A's and I also did Dutch but I just kind of sat the exams I didn't have to like study or learn it because I already knew Dutch but I got a star for that just to kind of be like I know Dutch okay here's my certificate (laughs) 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 I only managed to do that because I told you I got B's and C's in my AS levels and I needed to resit five exams in order to actually have a chance to get A's or anything you, you know like 13 exams or such like. i had a lot of exams i can't remember how many but i had a lot those are hefty resets as well yeah so i and the thing is my school didn't allow me to sit all of them they said like basically their policy was three resets max per person and then for that year because so many people did bad they were like okay yeah. four resets her person and I was like okay but I need five resets <laughs> I've done the calculations this is what I need to do in order to like have a chance and my head of six one was like no that's not happening I was like okay cool and then my tutor kind of advised me to go to a different school in the area and kind of do the reset through them but they then contacted yeah. my like my six form head <laughs> and they said that one of your students is trying to reset one of the exams and then she cornered me at like lunchtime and she's like are you mad what are you doing and i'm Wee. like what do you mean? <laughs> i'm like i'm just trying to like have a real chance at getting yeah, the yeah. i need to get in order to get into medicine and she kind yeah. of threw all the stuff about like, but statistically, you know, you shouldn't be resetting this many, like you're just doomed to fail if you do that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but that's statistically, that's like based on the past. I'm not a statistic. I'm my own person and I want to do this. I need to do this. So, yeah. <laughs> but eventually she still kind of said no to that, right? So I couldn't <laughs> do it at that school. <laughs> so I went to basically a few towns over, there was this independent college and I just applied through them and I just sat that exam but that the thing was that I had to travel to that college and back to make it back wow, in time for my other exam yeah trust me those are little hurdles not, do you know what I mean that is yeah for sure <laughs> for sure and grit and resilience as well <laughs> I had to because I felt like I don't need anyone else to believe in my dream all I need you to do is do the admin that's necessary for me to do these exams yeah, you know yeah. like I'll do the rest you know mm. I don't need you to believe in me I don't need you to you know really like I can achieve my dream but that's what I had to learn even like with my parents like they didn't believe in me because they were like oh but your teachers know best they this is what they do this is their job you know so try to listen to them try to work with them and I'm like but they don't know me though they may know their job Mm. but they don't know me I it's mad because if I think about it I was three years into the country you know so Mm. I'm like still new as well but I'm having to like figure my way out in this sixth form where these people were like, no, like one of my teachers was like, yeah, but I didn't get into Oxford and I kind of accepted that and I didn't try again. You know what I mean? It was like, but that's you though. Like your dream was that and you didn't achieve your dream. Yeah, you you can't put your hopes and dreams and put it on you. Yeah, and trying to advise me like, oh, we don't want you to like get upset when you don't get in. And it's like, let me at least try. Yeah. Let me at least fail, you know, like yeah, yeah. I think this is textbook, yeah. though. This is textbook mm. a minority story. Do you get what I mean? Like you hear mm-hmm. about people that are not given the best hand in life, but it builds character. Do you get what I mean? Like I feel like For if sure. you were given all the privileges in the world, I don't think you would have been as resilient. Do you get what I mean? You've had to mm-hmm. fight for everything. And these are lessons that you might have forgotten, but even like listening to you talk about it now, I'm just thinking of how much must have been going on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And 
yeah you forget about all that you forget about that as you get older and when you remind yourself the stuff that you've had to go through and the belief that you had in yourself even though no one else believed in you or no one else was helping you had to help yourself and I feel like yeah that is a part of your upbringing I don't Mm -hmm. like I don't know you can speak on yourself but like I don't think you would have been the same if you were given every privilege if you were I don't know given money to have to buy the resources Mm. but also it defines you who you are in the future as well because you know that you've conquered all of these big hurdles that seemed at the present time that you can do anything in life later on and if any hurdles come again you know you have to grit and resilience to persevere definitely like it's it's definitely been character building for me right and it's not that I would I don't regret all the actions I took against people's advice and against my teacher's input etc like I did what was best for me Mm. and that was all fine and well but that's because I have that kind of personality as well to begin with like from my childhood I've been quite a rebel so when someone in authority tells me no I'm like no I'm going to find a way to get it done for me right so I'm just thinking like all the other people who have been told no by their teacher because their teacher just didn't believe in them not because it's an actual no not because they actually are not good enough and they kind of accept that because the teacher is in that position of authority yeah you know like who are you as a student to question your teacher's experience wisdom? you know so I think a lot (laughs) of students wouldn't have done that and they haven't you know like a lot of people just kind of accept that someone in a position of authority doesn't think they can do it therefore they won't do it you know I feel all these things can build your character but you have to be a specific type of person it's not Mm -hmm. one thing fits all I feel like if you yeah for sure not everyone could do this yeah not everyone can do that not everyone can manage their time the way you did yeah people do so like I do feel like the fact that okay employment and stuff like that if you have to be employed while you're in sixth form it should be more of a character building thing than a necessity like and it's sad that it's a necessity for so many youths and then definitely another thing I was reading into so Recently, there was like a trend on Twitter and it was hashtag my path to medicine and mm-hmm. it like got t- two million impressions. And it was it was different ethnic minorities and different working class med students and doctors that are now doctors as well. They were sharing their stories online. And I think one of the things that kept coming out was the fact that, yeah, there was a whole employment issue that they had to kind of work while they were studying But another thing was they were not prepared in the terms of like with medicine, especially. I remember you going through it. So I remember you saying that your personal statement had to be handed in on time and an insane quality. Not only that. So it's personal statement, it's grades. And then there's the interview as well. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to touch. If your school doesn't prepare you for that interview or if you don't have like the criticism of not having someone to guide you, someone from that background to guide you because you are the first in your family to get into university. I mean that in itself can disadvantage you and it's not only the interview side of it it's even like getting work experience because that's another big thing do you get what I mean yeah Yeah. how do you feel like you were impacted in that sense well the thing is I'm privileged in that sense again because I was at a grammar school they had connections to powerful people so they organized an interview day for all the students so this is in year 13 for all the students who had applied to either Oxford Cambridge and medicine dentistry right all the university courses you'd need an interview for Mm. and I was allowed to be part of that even though I hadn't received any interviews yet and the people that were there like one of them was our local MP who did like the interviews right and that's kind of it's mad when you think about it because the MP is actually quite an accessible person right or they should at least Um, Mm. and I know that MP was quite helpful with my family when we had like a housing issue and he like really kind of helped us through it and having him there with interview prep for medical school was it was just weird like we had the whole school for ourselves you know on like a Saturday and uh, there's a select few of us and we went from room to room with these different powerful people who had some connection to our to our school and that experience was was big for me in terms of preparing for my interviews so like they prepare their students you know because they want it's their reputation that's on the line as yeah, well and yeah. they care about that so they for will sure. do they their best in the results yeah there. like how did you navigate because medicine is a very like particular field in that there's so many hurdles not just you have to be clever and pass exams but you also have your other external exams like the UK cat or the BMAT you have like you said interviews for each medical school 
how did you all navigate with especially with working part-time as well yeah I think the main thing that was super helpful for me is all the free resources that were available online I just kind of I don't know how to say this not illegally but I guess maybe illegally but like anything free any free PDF don't come for me but like that's all I had status mate I still got the Netherlands to go back to as well did you also do any work experience uh, yeah, I did. I had some work experience for like year 10. I went into a care home for people with learning disabilities. And for my year 12 summer work experience, I actually went back to Iraq. And my mum helped me arrange work experience at a hospital in Kurdistan. So I, oh, really I managed cool. to get that. Yeah. And the thing is with that, like, the thing about our homelands is that sometimes there's just, there's no such thing as protocol. There's no such thing as like, you know you need a qualification to do something it's just like oh you're a woman okay we need to inject these women it's a private area so just because you're the only woman around go and do it and I'm like I am not anything I am not qualified how how was that experience out there Uh, it was quite scary because I was like oh my god what if something goes wrong what if I inject the wrong place or do the wrong thing they told me like one of the nurses was like this is how you do it, okay? Now you do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is how you do it. No, that's shambolic. <laughs> that's that's confused right there. I, I was 17, 17, 16, 17, yeah. yeah. You could have just trained up in that, in that hospital <laughs> a couple of years later. They would have been like, Dr. Elab, can you come help? <laughs> know, because right. Dr. Elab. But yeah, it was a bit mad because that was like the old way of doing medicine, right? See one, do one, teach yeah, one. Yeah. You just wow. kind of learn on the go. But yeah, for me, I made it very clear to them. I have no qualifications. I am not even a medical student. I want to become a medical student, etc. And they were like, it's fine. This is how you learn. And I'm like, okay. But I, I yeah. remember in my interview for my university specifically, yeah. one of the doctors, he asked me about the experience. And I was like, well, you know, it's like non-invasive procedures. He's like, no, that is an invasive procedure because you're literally <laughs> entering it. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I meant like it's not like (laughs) but yeah like I think I just focused on how much I gained from that experience and how valuable it was for me and how it kind of reinforced my desire to want to become a doctor regarding your interview do you feel like because on that twitter feed it was saying basically that the class that you're in affects your the way that you come across in interviews in terms of like the language you use or you know the anecdotes that you use Mm. Uh, it's quite clear which background you're from and the people like some of the doctors believe that that affected their performance or their application do you think that's accurate or do you have a different experience I think it affected my application because in terms of my personal statement obviously I can't use big words because I don't know big words but I think I got enough help from kind of middle class white people I guess that I kind of like my personal statement got a bit brushed up you know like um, yeah. embellished um, now it's Elaf that helps me with my personal statement like, <laughs> this girl into uni and my masters just saying <laughs> yeah it's been so good like I really like doing that because I learned a lot from that experience literally my personal statement I redrafted it 14 times mm. and that's like pe- different people's inputs and then kind of what I wanted in there and then constantly redrafting it but at the end of the day, when I look back at the personal payment, it was still me, but it was yeah. the way the ordering and the structuring and, the, you know, all of those things I wouldn't have been able to do without the input from my personal tutor who helped me out. But you need you need the help, though. Like you need to Definitely. like people who know Definitely. the structure and the format. Cause there's a certain style that people are expecting. Definitely. And understand like the flow of it, you know, it's got to read well and all of that stuff like it's so important, but you can't really teach yourself that unless you've done English lit or something, you know, unless you're, you've been exposed to kind of creative writing. Okay. Now you are in medical school yeah. in Southampton, right? Yeah. And in your fourth year. So yeah. you said how your A-level or your, in your A-levels, your teachers didn't help you and really push you hard enough mm-hmm. to be a medic. But now what was your perception of medical school itself before you entered and when you were going through the years towards what reality was as a ethnic minority climbing up 
So I feel like for me personally, a lot changed when I kind of once I started medical school, because it's not just medical school, it's like university and what I think I would have kind of achieved or belonged to once I was at university. And those things yeah. just didn't happen. I thought I would find a community. I thought I would connect with more people from my country or neighboring countries, you know, and ha- like yeah. sharing my mother tongue language and like all this stuff. But yeah. I felt like there was just a big disconnect because when I came to university, my identity was just unusual. Like I was a vegetarian, I was Middle Eastern, and I was not religious, right? So all these things kind of came together and it became kind of me not being able to belong in any of these categories. And then that kind of impacted my mental health a lot because I then fell into a depression and I wasn't able to engage enough with my course I was very absent Uh, like literally like I wasn't attending lectures and stuff but that was like in my first first year of uni right and that that's when I did a foundation course how many ethnic minorities were in your course and how many were from Iraqi Kurdistan and the societies that you joined as well so because I did a widening participation course, so that first year is a foundation year, there was only 30 of us, and yeah. most of us were ethnic. There was like okay. four or five people who were white, but they were of white working class. So like they were underprivileged okay. in that sense. So that first year was very diverse, right? And it was okay. very nice yeah. to see and kind of, I didn't feel like I didn't belong in that cohort, but it's because I was kind of, my mental health was struggling. I just literally, I wasn't present to even feel like I belonged. There was one other guy who was was Haddish in my cohort but yeah. nice. and he also grew up in the Netherlands so we had a lot in common in that sense but I think my because of my mental health I wasn't able to like make the most of that year yeah what's interesting is there was a study done by Brenda Bagan I think was her name and it was it looked at everyday classism in medical schools uh, experiencing marginality and resistance so it was kind of like a longitudinal case study kind of study so it was all qualitative data Uh, where they interviewed a load of medical students between first year and final year. And the two main things that came up was, which is kind of what you described, was the feeling of isolation and being marginalised. So Mm. in terms of isolation, it looked at the fact that there wasn't many people like them. Like you said, there was only, like, when you think about it, there should be just, there should be more than just one student you can identify with. Do you get what I mean? Um, yeah. So a lot of med students couldn't, especially when this is like you're moving away from home. Like medicine from the get-go is tough. You're going in yeah. five days a week. It's not like other courses. I'm not saying other courses are easier, but I'm just saying it's every day on the go. It's much and rigorous. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if you don't have a support network, and what the working class students kind of said was that, all the middle class and upper class kids had a lot of family support. So their family would be mm-hmm. checking in on them. And because they knew the structure of medicine, they knew what, what was happening in each year's, what kind of like exams they're supposed to be expecting. Yeah. They were more talkative. The student was able to express their feelings yeah. to their family. The family would understand. Did you feel that for yourself, like that sense of isolation, like that barrier between you and your family, as well as the isolation you were feeling in your cohort? Well, definitely. Like, I mean, in my foundation year, because everyone was very diverse, I didn't feel that isolation because of the people. I was more so because of my mental health. But then when I entered into like year one of the traditional course, I definitely felt that because that's like 200 plus students in a big lecture hall. Majority of them are white and majority of them are privileged, middle and upper class kind of background. And I just kind of you could see in the actual hall itself where the ethnic people would sit it's in the back in a corner altogether well, segregated. uh yes but i think that i don't know why that is in terms of, i just felt more comfortable sitting in the back and having everyone in front of me you know that's just me but then it just ended up being all of us from our foundation year sitting in that same area and then the keen beans are like in the front row and then the rest yeah, of the white yeah, people definitely. kind of spread kind of in the middle or in the front, you know. Do you think um, there was also a segregation in terms of classism as well? Like, do you think the white upper middle class were more segregated compared to their counterparts, like white working class? Well, you'd see differences in the, in the way, like, for example, in the way they partied, obviously, and the way they kind of treated their degree almost, you know, they were just a lot more. What do you mean by that? I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, of course, I'm doing medicine. You know, like there is no. Yeah. I don't know. Like basically, 
yes, very entitled. But I remember like there's like different, um, and I'm now combining people's stories like uh, from what other people have told me. Like you'd have conversations sure. happening in the lecture hall in like the break time, right? Where a bunch of privileged people would like discuss how many driving licenses they have in different countries. You know, that's the level of. <laughs> that's that is so petty. You know what I mean. <laughs> What a topic of conversation, mate. Oh, yeah, you I know, know, right? Driving license. Right? <laughs> what do you have for dinner, mate? Did you cook? Or how many horses <laughs> they own, right? And it's like, wow. what world is this? You know, it's just mad to like, wait, we're in the same, we're in the same year, we're in the same kind of path, really? But coming from completely different worlds. And like the, the same kind of contrast, like in the breaks, people would go off and get Costa coffee and Costa lunch and every day, right? And us, even if we have student finance, it doesn't mean we spend it all on. You can't just splurge it out. Like yeah. every day, get Costa something. <laughs> you can't, you yeah, can't exactly. bring your pet lunches within. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, you're not eating today, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just mad because you see that difference with that kind of in the behavior. It's not necessarily kind of them talking down down on us or you know separating themselves from us but it's the way they live their life is just completely different, different. Yeah. yeah and they don't even consider they don't even think oh would you struggle with that way you know because I had uh, one of the people I knew from my course she she was white and she would hang around with the white people but she really struggled because she's from a working class background and she couldn't afford to buy lunch every day so like sitting with them them having bought lunch and her either not having lunch or like making her own lunch it's like you feel the difference and yeah. it's just it's that kind of stuff that you see in in terms of like the behavior and the issue i don't think is the issue isn't white people you know it's not the issue i think the issue is it's the class right it's the representation of like the the doctors that we have and the population that we have we might have a majority white population but we don't have a majority upper class population we have a working class population so the doctors need to reflect that because it really does impact patient care it really does impact kind of how you connect with someone if you have no inclination for what their experiences are like you just I don't know you just can't practice medicine properly Mm. See, this is that's an interesting point that you brought up because in the paper, the second kind of thing that kind of stood out for me was marginalization in the term that they felt different in terms of their cohort, but not only that, but their lecturers as well. Did you experience that, that you couldn't build the same rapport because you didn't have the same experiences as your lecturers or faculty members that were helping you throughout the course? Well, I mean, it's it's difficult because especially if you're in such a big cohort, the environment isn't set up for you to connect with that one person all the way in the front you know what I mean like the yeah like some people would go at the end of the lecture would go up to the lecturer and like exchange emails or something or talk about something or whatever but I didn't think about that you know I didn't think to network with my lecturers or I didn't think to like do something with it you know all I was trying to do is just trying to get through it trying to get through the content and I think it's the same for faculty members because it was medical school especially like touching on my mental health journey in medical school being in the foundation course it was very easy for me to open up about my mental health because I felt more supported because the lecturers that we had knew our names they kind of we connected with them they told us personal stories about themselves and their families and stuff so there was a connection there and so I felt more open to kind of disclose that I was struggling whereas going into year one it's like a big lecture hall so many students one like lecturer or like a faculty member coming in dropping by there was no possibility for me to even think oh I want to go up to you and I want to tell you something or I want to connect with you because I don't trust you I don't feel like I can trust you because this whole environment just feels cold you know and you yeah. don't know me, you don't know my name, you don't know nothing about me. And I just can't bring myself to open up to you because I would be exposing myself and I would put myself in a vulnerable position. And I don't want to do that after everything I've done to get here, you know? Yeah. Do you so, think that medical schools have the facilities to help you and help other students in that area? Yes, they do. Like, not just like, with mental health, yes, they do. But because of especially because of COVID right now, there's just so much kind of financial strain and budget cuts and layoffs and all that kind of stuff that 
they're using that almost as an excuse that they can't really invest much in students. At the moment, my university is doing a lot for students and kind of supporting students' students' well-being and stuff. But my medical school isn't, mm. and I like I'm working with them to hopefully address that. But I think it's just like they are essentially. This is the thing that I'm trying to like let other medical students know. Right, we get into medical school. Yes, it's very competitive. But once we're in, we are medical students. Right, that means the medical school has a responsibility to train us to become doctors. That's what they need yeah. to do. But part of that also means that we can hold them accountable for if we do not feel like we are being trained properly, whether it's academically or pastorally. If we feel like we're struggling and they are not helping us out because they have a duty to help out in every sense, like mental health as well as academic. So mm. That's something that I feel like people just don't understand because they shy away from disclosing that they're struggling mentally when it's like, no, 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 you you can. And if, if you are struggling, you need to tell them because they need to help you. It's not a should they help you? Do they want to help? You know, they have to. Is that what you think about it? Well, at the moment, I'm 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 working on a peer support program, hopefully to implement some like sometime this year to train up. Uh, medical students to be able to help other medical students in terms of just listening to each other and being there for each other and knowing how to manage crises because this is something that is happening like medical students students in general actually they're just more likely to talk to another student about what they're going through they're not likely to open up to a faculty member or someone senior you know because how why would you do that that person doesn't understand your course or what you're going through right now you know like they're not in the same boat Yeah. So students talk to each other, but students don't have the skills to actually know what to do. And your fellow medical student is telling you that uh, they're feeling very low and they might do something to harm themselves. What do you do? Do you know? No, you don't. But we get taught in a very medical way in terms of like, this is how you would treat a wound or this is how you would kind of perform CPR or this, you know, like, we, we get trained the medical stuff, but we don't get actually yeah. trained in how do we actually talk about these things? How do we actually manage these things when it's like happening in front of us or our friend or family member is disclosing something to us? Like, what do we actually do? And in that sense, we're important useless. Well. Sorry? That is very important as well, because as a yeah. doctor, you're not just dealing with a physical ailment. Like, that's why... Mm interview processes and stuff why do they ask you these not only just clinical questions but they ask you situations as well so why they ask you those questions because it is important within your field so that is a sense of training that you need to have building rapport with your patients is not just you need to build up trust and all that it it adds up and that's Mm. that's shocking that it's not being yeah I'm surprised as well that as quite important Yeah. yeah The focus is more on the the clinical stuff. We have some stuff about, like Southampton is very good in terms of communication skills and like body language and how to deliver bad news or significant news to a patient, right? But what if like, it's not a patient, it's your best friend, you know, and what if they're struggling? And what if, you know, like they tell you something and at what point do you call 999? At what point do you break confidentiality? At what point, you know, like how do you actually deal with this? when you're mm-hmm. not necessarily in a hospital but it's still happening and you like as doctors right you are a doctor 24 7 you, you don't get to just give up your doctor title when you go home right because if you come across someone on the street who's like dying you're not going to just walk past them you still have to do something so how do we do that when it's someone we care about or someone that we know and it's not a clinical context they're not necessarily clinically unwell they don't need cpr they don't need something to be done to them physically but we need to be able to have some sort of skills in terms of talking and managing that and i think kind of going back to in terms of like medical school and the different experiences that we from underprivileged and uh, minority ethnic backgrounds the experiences that we have i think we have come across a lot more difficulties and struggles and traumas that we kind of that forms part of our identity and part of our medical practice as well Mm. and that's why it's so important to have more diversity in medicine in the sense that you just need more people who have gone through things because 
your patients will have gone through so much and you need to be able to connect with them not on a superficial like oh I'm sorry you went through that you know but there just needs to be a, a deeper sense of connection with patients because there's just a lot that goes missed you know there's just there's mm-hmm. so much I don't know I could keep going on about this like there's so much lack in the training at medical schools in terms of like with homeless people with refugees like domestic violence like all this stuff like picking up the signs and knowing when a patient is particularly vulnerable or when do you need to advise your patient to actually call 999 because like um this is too much or like report to social services and stuff like that you know it gets very it gets very intricate, right? I'm not saying medical students need to know everything because they can't, but there's a lot of stuff that I feel like is missing from our medical curricula that touches on a lot of the different classes in our society that we will be exposed to. But if we know nothing about them, then we are letting those patients down. If you feel that the curriculum is lacking in those, who can you go to and challenge them or make it more diverse, the curriculum to address these issues that doctors will have to face in their jobs? that you need to be trained up in it's very difficult because the issue is that it's an institution that you're dealing with you're not dealing with one person that you can kind of convince you're dealing with different boards different uh executives you know like a medical school isn't as easy as just the dean like the dean has power but you can't just go up to the dean and be like I want to have a meeting with you you know you have to go through multiple people to access that and Right. even that like time like the timetables and the curriculum they have loads of meetings and you know it's it's long it's a tenuous process and I tried to introduce some stuff about refugees and yeah. um, forced migrants um a few years ago and it just kind of it wasn't getting anywhere because no one wanted to give up an hour or two of their time mm. you know like pharmacology right. didn't right. want to give it up or hematology or you know like the different academic academic stuff didn't want to give up their time in order for this training to happen and otherwise you can't just kind of slot in more and more and more it needs to something needs to go out for something else to come in so it's it's difficult I'm not saying change isn't possible but I think with my university specifically it's it's very difficult like I know a friend of mine she wanted to introduce more awareness about eating disorders because in some of the stuff that we get covered it's so obvious that like for her, because she's got personal experience in it, she knows that actually on this slide, you need to put like anorexia on here because we need to know that like an- with anemia, right? if you have a deficiency in your blood, it can be because of anorexia. But if you're not putting that in there, if you're not giving that as a reason, you're not allowing medical students to connect those dots. And yeah. then we're not thinking to explore that with a patient, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of gaps in our medical teaching that a lot of patients kind of they slip through that net because of those gaps how how does that how does that get solved or how does that get prevented well like for example the the teaching on like different skin tones right in terms of like what happened recently along with the black lives matter movement this whole idea of why do we only get taught on white bodies why do we only get taught on white skin yeah and it doesn't make sense because not all our patients are white you know we will have colored skin you know like and what do we then do how do we diagnose how do we identify there's a problem and the way that kind of got challenged or there was a change because some people actually came together and put together the information right rather than the actual doing this or like the royal college is doing this because that's isn't that their job you know so when it comes to like how do we solve these things a lot of it comes to like us doing the actual work sometimes and then forcing it kind of in their faces and saying like this needs to be taught here it is um but even then it's also like if you add public pressure I know there was petitions going around especially for my university as well uh people create a petition for the medical school to acknowledge that they need more teaching in on different skin tones you know so that we can identify yeah. it on different people and I think part of that can be done through like public pressure and through like medical students raising like a, their voice together towards our medical school and awareness. Yeah. and awareness yeah and it helps when it's like in the news as well because it's like a topical thing but other than that I think a lot of it goes through it's just that slimy kind of ladder of reaching people in authority you know and kind of negotiating your way through 
and getting things put in place. And part of that, yes, you'll be much better off if you have ties to the faculty, if your dad knows this person, whatever, you know, like you can get things done when you know the right people. Mm. But me coming from my background, I don't really, I can't really do that. But the lucky thing is that my previous, like the previous person that used to teach me is now in a position of authority. So I'm actually able to get in that way. Yeah, so that's how right. I'm like working on my peer support program. It's through that person. But if I didn't have her, it would be so difficult to reach the faculty. Is faculty quite diverse? Is there representation from the BAME community? I think it's mainly white. There's quite a few women. I think there's one. I don't know, like in terms of like the top faculty, I mean, like the executive people is mainly white women. But I have had a few like, like the lecturers, I think, are also mainly white. But there have been a few ethnics. There's one Kurdish guy as well. But there is a like Southampton is, I wouldn't say diverse, but it's, it's definitely like it's a city. Like there is there is diversity here, but it is, again, yeah. predominantly white, quite wealthy. And quite elderly population, I would say, as well. So that's then also reflected in kind of who teaches and who has positions of authority, you know. Go off that, because with each episode, we'd like to try and find solutions Mm -hmm. within the class problem within that industry. So we looked at two major parts of med school. So it was getting into medicine. So Mm -hmm. it was and your, you know, your studies before university and then the second part was within the medical school how would you think society needs to change or rules need to be put into place in order to make that kind of transition and that journey easier for working class people as well as uh, ethnic minorities so in terms of before medicine what kind of changes do you think need to be put in place within you know six forms and within schools yeah the drive to bring in more diversity in the medical school yeah I think one thing that's already happening that I'm part of as well is like widening participation initiatives and that's people setting up a way to like mentor a year 12 or a year 13 student who wants to go into medicine by connecting them with a current medical student or doctor who is from an underprivileged background so that's really great there's loads of different initiatives like that happening that are just offering free mentorship And that includes personal statement and interviews and all kinds of stuff because it's from the people that have gone through it already. So that's a big help in terms of like resources and support. That across the UK was like that initiative you guys are doing? Yeah, no, this one, this one is a UK one. Yeah, it's it's a big initiative. Uh, It's a big one that's happening. It's called Intermed School with the T being the two, number two. And there's there's loads more happening, but there's also like widening access to medicine societies at universities who then help the local community. So there's one at Southampton yeah. who kind of do like interviews, support, like they do like fake mock interviews and stuff locally. And so like things like that are so, like they have such a huge impact on the students that attend it who yeah, are from definitely. underprivileged backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. And that's extremely important because... I remember you were saying um, some facts about, what was it, the 20% of schools thing? Um, so 80% 80% of medical students are from 20% of schools, colleges, sixth form schools. So that's, that's certain... a small number of schools, yeah, like a certain number of schools that produce the most medical students. Yeah. Wow. And by doing initiatives and... like the one that you said, it will mm. help widen that scope. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. even within medicine and dentistry itself, like 36% of students, again, are BAME background. Mm. I, fe- I feel like it would be unfair to put the aim at like, where, what do we want? You know, like, do we want 60%? Do we want 70%? I feel like what the, the, the path we're heading on is becoming more equitable, you know, because we also have to appreciate that we don't live in a ethnic country. We live in a predominantly white uh, yeah. Christian country, right? Mm. So... Although, like, if we look at the NHS and the people that NHS employs, it's predominantly not white. You know, That's there's, there's a lot. We're talking about the upper middle class, because this is one point in, like, our classes of episode that mm-hmm. I was, like, challenging Mike. In the, in the sense of with medicine, I didn't think there would be any problems because when you do look at the NHS, the majority of doctors and nurses and things are from an ethnic minority background. But the thing is, like, not necessarily, right? They're not necessarily all doctors or nurses. There's just, like, loads of care support and allied professionals and, like, everything, like, a physio to, like, all kinds of stuff that are just yeah. not 
either British or not white or, you know, because they do hire a lot of people from abroad as well. You know, there's a lot of internationals that come here to work for the NHS specifically. So mm. I think there's there's that distinction as well to be made. Like the NHS itself is very diverse, but in terms of doctors, not so much. In terms of UK trained doctors, there's still a long way to go. And there's I think that part of that is on the medical schools themselves and who they accept in the medical school. Mm, so how do you definitely. think medical schools should change to accommodate more diversity or just because we spoke about there being yeah, how would you shake up the establishment yeah <laughs> i think one thing that's happening uh someone in the current faculty at my medical school is doing is they're challenging biases through like it's, it's called reverse mentoring you get a bunch of medical students and put them with the highest faculty members like the deans and the associate deans and they talk through how they got into medicine and the struggles they face. And even now in medicine, the struggles that they're facing. Mm. And so before and after, the, the faculty members would write kind of their uh, expectations of like what the journey is like for someone from a underprivileged background. And mm. for them, you, you did the research. And basically before, they believe that the struggle stops once they're in medical school, right? Once they're in, that's it. You know, they made it and everything goes wow, so from then on. Right. But then after the reverse mentoring, they realize how many more struggles start essentially once they're in medical school. All the things from like either financial struggles or like discrimination or, you know, like a lot of things. Yeah. So I think that is such a creative way of challenging people's mindsets. It's not just raising awareness. It's literally like putting you in a room with someone who's gone through all of it and you get to learn from them because you don't know. And now you're about to find out, you know, so like reverse mentoring is quite a sick idea. Um, but it's scary to think that they think it's still a level playing field at first year, yeah. regardless of class, skin colour, because you're always at a disadvantage yo, if mm. you're a BAME candidate or from a working class background compared to that's the thing, other you, counterparts. You never know until you experience it, right, Mike? Like the people that write all these things up are predominantly white British males or, you know, from a... But that's the thing, like, there should be more drive for BAME individuals in those faculty positions, right? But that's the thing, I feel like now more ethnic minorities are used like raising awareness and they're using their voices mm. a lot more and that is what's combating change because even if you think about the Black Lives Matter sure. movement, that yeah. kind of, in a lot of industries, whether it was, you know, beauty and makeup or clothing, yeah. to even medicine, people were bringing out disparities left right and center like even the whole skin mm. skin tone thing no one would have brought it up be, if it wasn't for yeah. that movement so i think yeah no, it just this is the to time. be that they've turned a blind eye before no like they just didn't want to yeah. care about it they just think it wasn't a problem like that's they rather than even like ask someone they, they're so detached that they don't think it's even a problem to begin with because they didn't know there's a problem because yeah. they didn't struggle do you see you what said, i mean like they you, are limited sure sure but you also said like as each medical student is accountable to the body like you can't tell me like their voices they didn't like put their voices up they didn't hear their voices to begin with I don't know also like not everyone speaks up when they are struggling especially when they feel like the faculty members or the people in charge won't listen or don't want what's best for them you know or don't but wouldn't understand but it's like you said that there's so much kind of bureaucracy and red taped and hurdles to even mm. get to a person that has the power or has influence in that sphere to even do yeah. something about it because you have to go through all of these like hurdles or admin or people to even speak to yeah. the right person about it so if you've already got like three people who are so detached in the admin kind of side rather than even have the power to change and they don't want to even hear it how is that even going to get to the ear of that person that can change it it can it can like you can work with the medical society for example that medsoc and that's the people that are yeah. like elected to have a position like president or welfare rep, etc. And they yeah. get to have meetings with the faculty directly and they represent the student voice. Right. But then like you have that as an avenue, but then you also you need to be able to make it on the agenda. You know, yeah. I don't know. Do you like, feel represented it, by the medical society? Um, like, do you feel like your voice mm. is just really heard as a, a white upper middle class counterpart? I think there was an issue with this year that I recognised and I passed it on to our year rep and she kind of brought it up with faculty and the response from faculty was like, yeah, no, just kind of deal with it. And mm. it's like, but no, because this impacts specifically the group of people who are underprivileged, who do not have the yeah, financial measures. Yeah. So, so 
like I was just I got the response and I'm like are you serious the whole point is that we can't deal with it you know there's a financial yeah. element to it that you can't just say deal with it you know like the, the response was longer but that's essentially what it's saying like we would we would it not provide like this we, we will we not do to. this yeah I think there definitely is I think there's a lot to be worked on and I don't know I think for me my main focus is the peer support stuff and like getting something in place to support students to enable mm. them to like to support each other and also know like setting up personal boundaries and knowing what how to take your, care of themselves what's your aspirations mm. for that like do you want also faculty members to get trained as well to deal with students coming up to them as well because like you said they seem to be a bit detached and even if you do try and speak to them they might not have the right training themselves yeah I think that's that would definitely be like the next step you know I think because less students go to faculty to disclose stuff, I think the biggest need right now is amongst the student population because students carry a lot of burdens for like fellow students. So I think yeah. that's definitely important. We we need faculty members that are more aware and that are kind of more clued up with like the support services that are available, knowing what yeah. to do and what to say to someone and what is not okay to say to someone who's struggling mentally, you know, because um, yeah. some people just, to say the wrong things and they're in a position of pastoral duty or whatever and it's like how did you how how are you in this job so I think there's yeah. a lot there's a lot that needs to be challenged but I feel like my More main duty is to kind of get get that in place for the students so that at least we get that covered the students can take care of each other and then we kind of reflect that back onto the faculty and be like it's so simple you just got to do the do the work and so many people will be better off because of it. So, yeah, I think that's that's where I'm focused on. And I think it will have a ripple effect onto the faculty. I think a lot of things are being done. Like I said, the reverse mentoring thing afterwards, they realize and they're more appreciative and they're just they're not ignorant anymore. You know, and that's the main thing that that's the most powerful thing you can do is change someone's awareness you know and that requires a lot of work and a lot of strategies and a lot of methods and it's just we just keep moving you know my <laughs> <laughs> so question for you um today is uh, in our previous episode we discussed the glass ceiling and mm -hmm. that's basically the idea that you know anything is possible but you reach this glass ceiling where you realize you're limited because of your social class so in different industries there is like a hierarchy of where you can reach like um, the maximum top. Do you feel like there is a glass ceiling in the medical industry for working class and ethnic minorities? Or do you think that, you know, those high positions or, and those elite positions are attainable? Um, oh, I hit over a hard one. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's difficult because at the moment I only have the medical school experience, right? So I don't know kind of I know a bit about beyond medical school from doctors that I know and what they've said and things but I think things are changing obviously mm. but at the moment I wouldn't say that there is a glass ceiling I think a lot of how we kind of go about our obstacles is to do with our mindset mm -hmm. and so not to say that all the responsibility is on us and that nothing is wrong with the system itself but I think that sometimes I feel like we we limit ourselves by not even trying you know, yeah. by perceiving yeah. a glass ceiling and therefore we don't even try and therefore we think that there is a glass ceiling. So I think my main thing is that I will try, you know, that's the, yeah. like, I will just do what I need to do. But so far, like within medical school, I wouldn't say that there is a glass ceiling. There is a lot of support available and a lot of things that can be done for anyone that is struggling, whether financially or in any other way. So I think those positions are attainable, but who yeah. knows, who knows? Like but once I'm a doctor. Your journey so far is a testament for that. Sometimes you do need to believe in yourself. It's not just okay. The system, there are flaws in the system, but mm. you just before medical school, like the adversities that you had to to go through, and mm. that is particular to your own individual story, and how you were able to, because of your own will and your own drive, you were able to pass bypass those glass ceilings. So mm -hmm. yeah, like is it is nice to know that there are stories like yours out there, and your story is still being written, girl. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this has been a really good conversation. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah this has been really insightful. Like it's been so insightful. I think before, 
like even though we've discussed it me and Judy life like I've never thought about it from your perspective in mm. terms of as a medical student and the things that you went through personally because I honestly didn't think there were that many disparities like I understood there were disparities getting into university because you know um, of our own experiences it's kind of similar processes but it is very different as well and mm. I think it I mean this is eye-opening for anyone that is listening that does want to get into medicine you know and yeah it's been a really good conversation I'm so glad we had it (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for having me and giving me the platform thank you I really appreciate it thank you for sharing your story it's very inspiring Thank you. Just shout out your socials just one more time. So anyways, yeah, all of your handles that you are. <laughs> well, the main on ones now. really are my um my dear Elaf ones. So Instagram and YouTube, dear Elaf. So D E A R. Oh my days. Uh, <laughs> dear, you know dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she came here when she was thirteen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she uh, can speak yeah. how many languages there. <laughs> a lot just english i struggle with Uh, (laughs) yeah dear enough uh catch me on youtube um i i'm hoping to release more videos all about self-care medical school and lifestyle and how to become a better version of yourself so yeah hopefully i'll see you on there uh, so this has been uh, an episode for our diversity in industry series we've been mainly focusing on medical school and the journey and the different disparities and solutions that you know us as the new generation should try and bring about i've been ray i've been mikey i've been ela and you've been listening to bottom up with mikey and ray